Dagon's Illusion, Episode 31 The Loneliness of Eustace Twinch When Eustace left the attic, he had absolutely no plan about what he was going to do. This was because he never planned anything. In him, the rational planning portion of the brain that develops through childhood and adolescence had reached its peak at six years old. Possessing a limited rational consciousness had released the unconscious into an active role. Whereas in most people, the unconscious is a seething stew of detailed memories and hidden capabilities that bubbles beneath the realm of rationality like a sewer under a swimming pool, in Eustace, whatever existed at the greatest depths was immediately accessible on the surface. This made for a most peculiar form of existence. The unconscious portion of the human mind is linear and literal, incapable of functioning without very specific directions. It prefers to live slug-happy, curled in the subdominant hemisphere of the brain, with its only direct expressions roiling up in the form of dreams and seemingly unmotivated proclivities. When it is forced to full wakefulness through the shoving aside of rationality due to shock or some other form of trance induction, it wanders and dithers like a mentally deficient child searching for directions which, when they are received, it attempts to follow with slavish doggedness. But in Eustace there was perfect integration. His six-year-old rationality had complete access and control over every aspect of this slavish doggedness which it employed in the pursuit of whatever it found most desirable at any given moment. There were other vast differences in Eustace's brain. While various portions of it were underdeveloped, his pineal gland, that slimy cone-shaped lump suspended between the hemispheres which offers the possibility of perceptual connections with other realms was over twice the normal size. This meant that Eustace experienced the world in an altogether bizarre manner. Without once having smoked peyote or gagged down ayahuasca, he accepted as normal a polyglot of cross-hatched realities. As far as his senses were concerned, there were no barriers between dimensions. All worlds were equally accessible to his simple mind, and what he accepted as normal would have amazed and terrified all but the most dedicated paranoid schizophrenics. He was a true, multi-dimensional man. So when he left the attic, Eustace's concept of searching for the girl was not limited to the mansion, but automatically included every realm that impinged upon his consciousness. Consequently, at the bottom of the stairs, where any normal person would have stepped out into Dagon's destroyed apartment, he entered a tesseract of interconnected potentialities. Most of the time it was just a matter of focusing on one for the others to recede, with the exception of the physical dimension in which his body resided and remained as a kind of anchor to keep him from drifting too far into weirdness. This created a kaleidoscope of perceptions that would have driven anyone else into screaming lunacy. For instance, there might be a mansion staircase leading down made of wood, while superimposed on it just a foot above was a gigantic staircase made of shimmering crystal whose top and bottom vanished into never-ending mists. The one made of wood might be empty, 
while the one made of crystal was drenched with spirits ascending and descending, passing by him or even through him as though he didn't exist. Most disconcerting, the crystal staircase might appear far more real than the flimsy wooden one. So every time he took a step, his foot passed through the real staircase and landed on ephemeral hardness, which explained why for him climbing stairs could be a jerky process. It also explained one of his oddest behaviors. If he had a pack of angel cards in his hand, when he got to the top of the main staircase, he would sail them one by one to real angels congregated with the human crowd below. For some reason, angels love to stand behind bald men, so it was natural that their shining pates became his targets. The multidimensionality of Eustace's vision defined the multidimensionality of his art. The truth was that when he had painted the fantastic portraits on the club staircase, he was only portraying what he saw on that other staircase. And here was the greatest secret of all. When he put his mind and heart to it, he could leave his body standing on the wooden staircase and climb the other one. Which explained why there were moments when Eustace simply stood like a lump in one place as though he had gone deaf and dumb. He had decided to take an excursion and had left the heavy part of himself behind. This he didn't do often because it took effort and like most artists, he was abysmally lazy. However, sometimes it was necessary in order to complete a particular work. The first excursion he had ever taken had been a long time ago. Once when he was a little boy, he had been seated on a huge bed surrounded by a circle of men. How he had gotten there, he had no idea, but their noise had distracted him from things he was drawing, which had irritated him immensely. The thought had occurred to him that the space each of them occupied could be better utilized by empty air. He hadn't intended to leave his body, but that's what had happened. While the lump of Eustace sat on the bed scribbling odd symbols, the real Eustace stood up and ordered the men to go outside and play so that he could work. With a scream of delight, each of them had flown straight through the glass wall. That's when he had decided that bad people like to fly and had determined to help them whenever he could. He had known the men were bad because when they had left the room, the chairs they had occupied were still occupied, but not with men. In them sat ugly, fat little toads that had glared at him. Somehow the toads had been sitting there all along inside the men. Clearly they hadn't wanted to go play outside. Though they remained, at least they were quiet. In fact, they were frozen. Eustace had found these repulsive creatures so interesting that he had decided to draw them, and this was the beginning of his visual artistry. From that moment, he had become increasingly aware of the worlds that collided around him and the possibility of displaying them on pieces of paper. Sadly, never again had he been able to make bad people fly by ordering them to do so, though quite often he had tried. Those who saw Eustace's art often wanted to know what he believed about God. Some even tried to question him, which was worse than futile. His first response was to grunt and turn away. If they were aggravatingly persistent, such as art critics tended to be, he would stare at them wide-eyed as though they were insane. 
Then, shrieking with laughter, he would babble out a mimic of their question while pointing at them. The truth was that Eustace neither believed nor disbelieved in God any more than he believed or disbelieved in Dagon. This was because he had no concept of God or Dagon as theoretical constructs. Both simply were. The person that was Dagon had a name. The person that was God had a name. Just as Dagon often baffled and infuriated him, God often baffled and infuriated him. The difference was that he could overwhelm Dagon with the monumental weight of his stubbornness, which, though he never gave up trying, didn't work with God. One thing beyond all others was true of Eustace. He was lonely. From the first moment when he had realized that there were people missing from his life, the deep ache had grown year by year. Though his mind remained that of a child, his body and heart refused to stay six years old. At the time when boys and girls begin the scintillating dance of desire, he could only stand and watch. There were no girls except nuns in his orphanage, so those fleeting moments when he saw girls were jarring delights. At thirteen, he had fallen in love. The girl came to Mass each Sunday. That's the only place where he could see her. She always sat with her family in the same pew. But words, 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 they always failed him. He couldn't speak to her, not even to say hello. It would come out, ha, 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 ha. But love searches for words. And Eustace's language was art. So the dance had begun. Each Sunday she would come to church and find a small masterpiece in the place where she sat. From the shadows, Eustace would watch as she looked at it and showed it to her family. Oh, the things he drew for her, the small visions of shining beauty. A butterfly with the wings of an angel, a flower covered with the dew of stars, a single leaf painted in the haunting colors of heaven. He could tell that she loved them, and her love brought him the deepest joy. Finally, he painted her portrait. With all the brilliance that was in him, he painted her face as only he could see it through love's eyes. Then he left it for her. And she left a note for him on the pew. He couldn't read handwriting very well, so he took it to Father Lucius. It was an invitation. She would be waiting on the steps in front of the church next Sunday before Mass. Eustace shivered at the thought of it. He was so overjoyed that he didn't see the sadness in the father's eyes. How excruciatingly long that week had been. When Sunday finally came, Eustace was so frightened that he could barely dress himself. Never had he dressed so carefully, combing his hair over and over. Finally the moment came. As he crossed the street, he saw her waiting. She was staring into the distance with expectation. With him he carried another gift, an exquisite portrait of the Virgin painted on a small piece of glass. As he walked up the steps, she glanced at him once, then continued looking down the street. He stopped in front of her. With no words to speak, he handed her his gift. Startled, she stared at it, then at him. Finally, she said, this is so pretty, where did you get it? He stuttered, me, 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 and mimed painting with his hand, me, 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 all. Slowly she realized who he was, 
and the expectation drained from her eyes. Smiling stiffly, she mumbled, Thank you for all the pictures. You're a wonderful artist. Then she handed back his gift and walked inside. As the years passed, Eustace had watched her grow into womanhood. He had stood outside the church on her wedding day. Then he had gone home and painted her one last time. It was a masterpiece of soft shadows and glistening light. When it was finished, he had taken it to the river, folded it into a little boat, and sailed it away.